Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. Today we're talking about estate planning. And if you listen to the show, you know I love estate planning. Why? Well, because if you've got people in your life you care about, you wanna make sure your stuff gets to them when you die. If you've got a lot of money, you wanna make sure nobody takes that money from you unless you wanna give it to them. And my guest today can do both things for you, for me, for all of us. I've got Jennifer Abelai with us, and she's an estate and philanthropic. I knew we shouldn't have put that word in there. No, she's an estate and philanthropic planning attorney. Very important to get an attorney involved in philanthropic causes that you may be vetting or you may be planning on uh, donating your money to. Jennifer's going to talk about that. She's going to talk about estate planning. She's going to talk about what brought her to where she is in her career. It is my privilege to welcome Jennifer to the Inside BS Show. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Dave. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, it, it is. I'm excited that you're excited. It's uh, you know, it's just a. Uh, it feeds into my energy when somebody tells me that they've listened to the show and they're happy to be here. So, tell us what led you to become an estate planning attorney. It was an accident. I found out what real estate lawyers do when I was in law school. Sounded terrible to me. That was what I thought I was going to do. And I said, "All right, well, I need I need another plan now." And estate estate planning found me. So uh, that's how that happened. Okay. And talk a little bit about what you like the most about what you do. I love strategizing with my clients to help them figure out how they're going to achieve their goals. And sometimes they even need help figuring out their goals. Um, occasionally there's clients who say, I need you to help me decide how I'm going to distribute my, my assets. So. Yeah. What? So when somebody uh, let let's let's start with a question that I struggle with. Listen, I'm a big believer in estate planning, and my wife and I didn't get our estate plan in order until after we had kids, and we were we left our kids with my sister in law, and we were going away for the weekend, and we were getting on a plane, and we're in line to go through TSA, and my wife turns to me and she says. What happens if this plane goes down? I looked at her, I'm like, who cares? She's like, well, what about the kids? What about the money? What about all that stuff? And I was like, oh, yeah, we need to take a note. We need to, we need to look at that when we get back. <laughs> so that to me is like the, you know, that's the story I tell people when I want to get into a conversation with them about their estate plan. But it's usually, for me, it's only people I care about. It's only like my friends or my family members when they have a baby or there's a life event, they get married or they get divorced. You know, my sister got divorced and I'm like, hey, listen, you know, your insurance policy, the beneficiary, you're going to want to change that, but you're not going to want to change that until you talk to an estate planning attorney to determine whether you want to put, make that, make up the beneficiary a trust so that you can be sure that the money goes to the kids the way you want it to, right? So when life events happen, it's easy to bring up estate planning. You as a professional, somebody who does this all day, every day, how do you start that conversation with people? Uh, generally, I let other people guide me. So, I generally look at estate planning in the way that you describe, right? Where if someone has 20 things on their to-do list, estate planning is number 27 after cleaning out your closets and organizing your garage. Uh, and the reason I find is a lot of people think they just have another day. 
Uh, it's, it's not that, you know, I think there's this misconception that people are afraid. I'm sure there, there are people who are afraid, but in my experience, I found that it's more that people just think I have another day. Like I don't have to get to this right now. So I, I do encourage my clients and, and people who I talk to, even if it's just an initial discussion and say, let's, let's get your, your basic in place. Cause I feel like that's the door opener, right? Once you step foot into your estate planning world, once you do your first will, it's so much easier for you to say, let's revise this or let, let's update this. I think, you know, the first step, you know, it's like when you jump in the pool, water's cold right away and then you adjust. Uh, it's the same idea. So getting in early makes the process easier on an ongoing basis. Cause if not, I find the longer you wait, uh, clients at that point, they have more assets, they have more nuances in their families, more needs, and it becomes more complex. So they can get into a state where there's kind of like analysis paralysis, right? They, they're not sure which way to go, but if you start early, it's more incremental when it comes to your estate planning. Yeah, I think that's right. And the thing that I tell people to think about before I tell them even, like the will is like the, the most basic, but wills can be intimidating to people. So with COVID, what I'll tell them is, okay, so you're going to the hospital, you're hacking up a lung and something may happen and you may have to be put on a ventilator. Who do you want to make decisions for you? And people go, oh my gosh, like I didn't even think of that. And I, in my family, and I've told people this story and I've told the story on the show before, my parents hadn't even thought about that until my grandfather had a situation where somebody had to make end of life decisions on his behalf. And my mother had a difference of opinion with her sister. And so then this is, you know, this is an emotionally charged time. And each one of them thinks they know what my grandfather's wishes are. And it was incredibly grueling. That decision was incredibly grueling. It was incredibly tough on both of them it would have been much easier if his wishes were spelled out. So when you when we think about estate planning, we think about like our assets and maybe protecting them and making sure that people we want get our stuff, right? We also maybe think about avoiding probate. All of those are great things, but what about making decisions for you if something happens to you? And that's part of this process too. Explain to people, so you're, you're licensed in New York, right? So explain to people in New York, what are, the, what are the documents you recommend? What are the basic documents you recommend that everybody has? I'm so glad you brought up that personal experience that, that you had. Uh, that's exactly right. You, you don't have an estate plan. And I, what I tell my clients is, you know, I'm admitted in New York and New Jersey. What I tell my clients is an estate plan includes at a minimum your will, your healthcare proxy, and your power of attorney at a minimum. If not, you don't have an estate plan, right? Because a will only kicks in when you die, as you know, but you're still alive. And these other documents come into play while you're still alive. So who is going to have the ability to make decisions, take actions, communicate with, with VIPs, you know, whether it's your financial institution, whether it's your, your health insurance company, whether it's, it's your financial advisor on what you need while you're still alive. So, you know, the healthcare proxy is just as you said, it's 
spelling out your wishes, but it's also making clear who's going to make the decision for you. Because generally the healthcare proxy kicks into effect when you cannot make those decisions because you're not communicative. So what I tell people is if you're still communicative, even if you can blink your eyes when the doctor says, do you want the surgery or not? Healthcare proxy doesn't kick in. But what if you can't do that? What if you're in a coma? Who's going to make those decisions for you if you're going to get that surgery or not? It makes it clear what priority these people make the decisions in and what is it that you want? Because doctors, guess what? They only want to talk to one person. They don't want to hear siblings fighting. They're like, I will take instructions from only one person. And guess who that is? That's the person named in the healthcare proxy. So that's why these documents are so important. It's not just your will. After that, you're gone, right? It's what what happens while you're still alive. So I, I make sure that everyone understands that at a minimum, you only get a full estate plan with me. I won't do piecemeal for the most part unless I know there's a very, very good reason. Um, maybe they already have an existing document, doesn't have to be updated. But I want to make sure that when you walk away from, from our engagement that you're set for the next five years or so don't have to worry about it yeah uh, let's talk a little bit now about what uh what a will is and what a will isn't right i think back to a kid as a kid watching bugs bunny cartoons and he you know they would read out read a will and there'd be like the scroll and they would read the will out or in like a murder mystery and people all gather in the room for the reading of the will right overly dramatic explain to people what is what what is a will actually what's actually in that so a will directs what you want to happen to your estate that is different from what state law directs if someone doesn't have a will the state has a plan for you everyone has a default estate plan the default estate plan is what your statute in your state directs the will allows you to override that. It gives you control. It gives you the ability to direct who's going to receive your estate and what portions they're going to receive your estate, if they're going to get it right away or not. Is it going to be kept in a trust? Who's going to be guardian of your children if, if both parents are gone? What do you want to happen to your house? Is it sold or not? It gives you control to give direction to your executor, the person in charge of your matters, once you're gone. That's what it wills. It's a set of instructions, basically. Okay, now here's uh, here's something that I want you to clear up for us, right? I talk to um, I talk to people all the time who uh, let's put it let's put it this way. Maybe they're in a high risk profession or. Um, maybe they're, maybe they're just going through rough times and they're like, look, I don't have, I don't have any assets. So I don't, I don't have any money. I don't have any assets. I don't have anything squirreled away. So it's really not all that important. And I look at them and I go, you got insurance? Well, of course I got insurance. I mean, if I, if I die, something has to, my family has to be taken care of. And I say, well, who's, who's the beneficiary? Oh, my, you know, my spouse is a beneficiary. And you know, how do you want to, how do you want that money to be spent? All of a sudden they just look at me. So if you've got nothing, but you've got an insurance policy, don't you need some sort of a document that would, so the insurance policy can be, the beneficiary can be a trust, and then in the trust, you can direct 
how that money should be spent. Explain to people, look, if you're, let's say you invested all your money in Bitcoin, right? And, you know, the Bitcoin is in your wife's name because you're uh, an anesthesiologist or something and you don't own a house or anything, but you've got a $5 million life insurance policy. Jennifer, explain to people that person still needs a will. They still need, maybe they need a trust. Explain to people why it's important, even if you don't have a lot of tangible assets for you to still do an estate plan. So- one of the main reasons to do an estate plan, if you have minimal assets aside from the life insurance, is it allows for easier administration when you die. So, for example, in New York, and I think in other states, if you attempt to do an intestacy proceeding, intestate means you die without a will, someone has to collect your assets. The administrator will have to post a bond. And that's money that they have to come up with. If you have a will, it's very easy to include a provision in the will saying that my executor does not have to file a bond. So that that's, I'd say, the most simple reason for anyone, even with a bank account. I often tell people, even if you have a bank account, do you have a bank account? You have an estate. Someone has to collect that asset. For life insurance, life insurance is an amazing way to do estate planning. And when you have a significant policy, $5 million, 10 million, sometimes even more, uh, without getting too complicated, it's a great way to do tax planning for those who do have taxable estates. And that is by placing it into a trust, having the trust own the policy. And then if you do it properly and you win the lotto and survive three years, then guess what? The entire policy proceeds are not includable in your estate for estate tax purposes. Uh, not only that, it gives you further opportunity to leave on instructions on how you want the proceeds of that life insurance to be distributed, whether it's to the spouse, whether it's to your kids in trust, grandchildren, you can leave instructions on how those proceeds, something significant like that, is going to be administered after you die. Yeah, I, I tell people all the time that, you know, they're, they're so most most people I know, um, you know, I'm, I'm gonna call myself middle-aged now. I mean, it's it may, maybe I'm borderline middle-aged on the upper borderline, but I'm middle-aged. And most people my age probably should have thought about these things maybe 10 years ago, but if they're thinking about them now, it's usually because, hey, somebody, you know, somebody's switching jobs and maybe you're, you get life insurance that comes with the job. I don't think you should do anything related to life insurance without getting your estate planning attorney involved because think, think about what you just said about being able to, you know, shelter those funds from estate tax, being able to direct where those funds go most people, they just get a life insurance policy and their financial planner or their HR administrator at work says, who do you want your beneficiary to be? And you just write down your spouse. So you write down one of your kids, not thinking your kids are going to, you know, have a knockdown drag out brawl over that money after you pass away. So if you've taken the time to think about what happens to your family because you're getting and you're getting life insurance because you care about them, then take the extra step and get an estate planning attorney involved so that you can really make sure that things are handled 
the way you want them to be handled. Now, Jennifer, I want to ask, I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to take a minute and think about it. And that question is what making a minor a beneficiary of a life insurance policy or making a minor of you know, uh, a beneficiary of any estate plan. I want your recommendations, especially if the assets you're leaving behind are significant, even if it's, you know, $500,000. Do I want to leave $500,000 or a million dollars or $10 million to an 18 year old? And, you know, what are some of the things we can do to make sure that the money lasts or the, the assets last for how long we want them to last. I want you to I want you to think about that for one minute because I need to remind people that we're brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. Right now, we're having a great estate planning uh, conversation with Jennifer Abelai. And one of the things that Sandrowski Corporate Advisors can do is if you're someone who's affluent, you're a high net worth individual, in addition to having an estate plan, you probably get people who pitch you for investments all the time. Now, look, you're not someone who has all day long to vet these investments. And if you're affluent, you probably don't even want to take these phone calls, even if it's from friends and family, especially if it's from friends and family. So what you probably want to do is you want to have what's called a family office. If you have uh, if you have a net worth of say 50, 75, $100 million or more, you want to set up a family office. Now, Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, they've written the book on this. They can help you get a family office set up. They can help you vet the professionals that are going to be part of your team in the family office. In fact, if you're going to have an investment manager, Sandrowski can help you vet that. If you're going to give a significant portion of your, uh, of your assets each year to charity, Sandrowski has folks who can vet the charitable organizations for you. And if you're going to take pitches on investments, Sandrowski can help you find the right people to vet those investment pitches. Now, even if you're working with one of the big investment teams, you're working with a Bernstein, you're working with a Goldman Sachs, you still want a family office because you're going to want your uh, assets perhaps to be combined with other family offices for investment purposes. You may want an independent party to vet an investment that one of those firms brings to you. Family office management, family office structuring is something Sandrowski has done for 30 years. They can help you do this. Give them a call at 866-717-1607. 866 866- 7171607 Sandrowski Corporate Advisors is a CPA firm with a different perspective. We're also brought to you by My Revenue Roadmap Guide. If you want a business development plan that is based on creating, developing and deepening relationships, I've got the plan for you and it's not going to cost you a dime. All you need to do is go to revenueroadmapguide.com. That's a website. Put all those words in together. No spaces, no hyphens. Revenueroadmapguide.com. Enter your contact info. Download my business development plan for free. It's my gift to you for listening and watching the show. Our guest today is Jennifer Abelai. She is an estate planning and philanthropic planning attorney. I said it right. Philanthropic planning attorney. You can reach her at 212 328-9568, 212-328-9568. All right, Jennifer. So we got an 18-year-old kid who just hit the jackpot. He, uh, unfortunately, a family member passed away, and they left him a truckload of cash. 
What's the best way to make sure that this 18-year-old kid doesn't blow through that money in a heartbeat? What, what tools do you have at your disposal that you use with your clients to make sure that the money is used appropriately? Easy answer, a trust. Okay, it's a and how does that trust. work? Explain, yeah, how does that work? Yeah, perfect. So the trust is a document that gives instructions over a long period of time. So you tell your trustee to hold your assets and to invest it, manage it, similar to, to how you would do it. And then they make distributions based on the parameters that you set forth. So it could be certain distributions at specified ages. It could be distributions at certain life milestones. It could be a distribution that is held until the next generation, but it gives someone else the ability to kind of step in your shoes and continue to manage these assets over a longer period of time so that the funds are used in the best way to give benefit to, to the child, right? Because as you and I know, you know, a 21-year-old might make very different decisions from a 35-year-old or a 45-year-old. Uh, different requirements at different stages of life can really only be done through a trust. Otherwise, it's, it's given outright, just as you said. And, you know, some people don't really care, but I say most people understand that at 25, you might want to say, I'm going to, I'm going to go traveling or at 30 or 35, maybe you're buying a house or getting married or, or going back to school. 45, maybe it's a different one without putting these parameters in place through a trust. There's really no other way to maintain control to make sure that the beneficiary gets the maximum value in time so that they can use it for their benefit. Okay, so uh, great explanation. Very easy to understand. Thank you. Um, help us with some with some terminology because I know people mess these up all the time. Uh, trustee, executor, give us the definitions for those terms, please. Yep, great. So an executor is someone who is appointed in your will to collect the assets that are in your sole name when you die. It's a very short, I'd say, period of time. It's collecting, it's applying for letters under the court. Some, some states call it a personal representative. Some states call it an executor. All they do is collect the assets that are in your individual name, not in the name of a trust, not with the name beneficiary, not held jointly. If it's in your name alone, they collect those assets and then they distribute it according to the instructions in your will. A trustee is similar in the sense that they have the responsibility of collecting assets, but the assets are those that you directly specify are to be held by the trustee. So this is a longer term. So generally people get stuck because they say, hold on, I, my child right now is eight years old and we're setting up a trust till age 40 maybe. How am I going to have a trustee from age eight to age 40? That's 32 years, right? And so, you know, you appoint successors, but the trustee's role is a longer role because they're the ones that carry out your instructions for, let's say, the child on when distributions are made. The executor's role generally ends, I'd say, within two years. The trustee's role can go on sometimes for more than one generation. 
Okay, and then sometimes the trustee, if it's if it's a complex process, they there's a salary specified in there for them, right? They get a stipend for managing all this, um, and then the beneficiary is the person who gets the assets, right? Absolutely. That's, okay, so that's how that's how that works. Now, um, clear up for us also the difference between um, living trusts, uh, revocable trusts, and irrevocable trusts. Explain to folks what the difference is and explain, you know, just very, in very layman's terms, when you might use each of these. Great. So there's a revocable trust, just as you said, or an irrevocable trust. The revocable trust is just how it sounds. It's a document that you create while you're alive and you can revoke it, terminate it, change it, amend it. You can, you can do anything you want with that trust while you're alive. An irrevocable trust is the opposite. You can't change it. It's done. It's set in stone. There are exceptions. We won't get into too much. Uh, but consider an irrevocable trust, a document that you set it and it's done. You can't make any changes to it. And at that point, it's going to be administered according to how it was written the first time. When people use one or the other, it generally comes down to tax planning. So revocable trusts are a great way to avoid probate. So this is great for anyone almost of any level of, of estate size because you, you can place your assets in the trust while you're alive. It's still treated as if it's your own Think of, think of a revocable trust I tell my clients as your alter ego. It's you wearing your bat suit, right? Everything is as if it still belongs to you, except that it's in the name of, of the trust. When you die, anything that's already in the trust, it's outside of your, your probate estate. It doesn't have to go through the court. Your trustee continues to manage it without any interruption. Irrevocable trusts tend to be used for estate tax planning purposes. And the reason for that is because for the most part, a transfer to an irrevocable trust, you no longer have control over that. And by letting go of that control, it's outside of your estate for estate tax purposes. So there's that spectrum, you know, where, where I explain to clients, you're, you're on one end of the spectrum is control on the other end is tax savings, never the two shall meet, right? <laughs> Except in 1% of cases, right? So if once you give up that control, you're getting the benefits of estate tax savings. So that tends to be a dark gray line of, of when you use one versus the other. Okay. Um, really important and something I didn't know until, uh, until I had personal experience with it, but you know, because I know it now, I want to make sure that you um, help us understand it better. A trust to be valid has to be funded, right? You can't just set up the trust and then, you know, throw it in a drawer and there's no, there's, you know, the assets aren't moved into it. Explain about setting up a trust. And then the second part is, you know, you have to actually use it, right? So explain explain what that means. Because a lot of people think, I, like I know a lot of people who think they're doing themselves a favor for asset protection purposes and putting assets in a trust 
And first of all, they're not putting it in the right trust. And second of all, even if they put it in the trust, they're not fully funding the trust. It's just uh, it, the assets are written on a piece of paper, but there's no there's no licensing agreement. There's no bank account. There's you know there's nothing. So explain the the second part of that, which is the administration that goes into actually having a trust as well. Absolutely, that is so important to make note that the trust is only good for the assets that it already holds. If you don't have assets that you moved into that trust and that's literally retitling your assets. And, and once I'm done working with my clients, I give them a memo. The memo's like six, seven pages long. This is how, this is how you fund the trust. I help, I help you fund the trust, but for your purposes, this is what it means. If you have a house, guess what? We're doing a new deed. We're doing new transfer tax forms. We're filing it in the records clerk's office to make sure that now your house is not in your name, it's in the name of the trust. Your brokerage accounts, let's talk to your broker. Make sure that we retitle these assets. It's no longer in your name. It's now in the name, it's not in Dave Lorenzo's name, it's in the Dave Lorenzo Family Trust of 2022. Literally a change in the name of the assets. If you don't have your assets, when you get your statement, when you get your tax bill, if it's not in the name of the trust, the trust does not own it. That trust is not funded with that asset. If it's still in your name, you have not funded that trust. And because of that, a lot of times people find themselves in a situation where they have a trust, it's not funded, and now they have to go through probate. Or they're, they lost out on the tax savings that they spent all this time, all this money with their, with their estate planning attorney, and guess what? They, they're not getting the benefit, whether it's just to avoid probate, whether it's estate tax savings, whether it's creditor protection, you're not getting the benefit because you didn't take the final step of changing the title, literally the name of the asset into the name of the trust. You know, another thing that um, that we've used, uh, that we've I've worked with my clients to use trusts for over the years and I didn't think of it until I started working with lawyers was for privacy purposes. So if you have an affluent individual or you have someone who's in the field of entertainment or sports and they're buying an asset, like a high profile asset, like a house or, you know, even a, even a, a even a boat, although, although boats, you know, the titling of a boat is a little tricky. Um, you can take that ass, you can purchase that asset through a trust and then when somebody does a cursory search, let's, I want to know where Dave Lorenzo lives. Let me do, let me do a tax record search for property in Miami-Dade County under Dave Lorenzo's name. My house isn't under my name. My house is under a trust, which is named something different than my name. Unless they know the name of the trust, they're not going to be able to find out what my address is. So, you know, for, for Dave Lorenzo, that's really unimportant. But if I were Armando Perez, a.k.a. Pitbull, I would want to purchase a house in the name of a trust so that, or in an LLC, maybe owned by a trust. So if somebody knows the name of the LLC and they search for the LLC and they're like, does Pitbull own this? Well, it's owned by, you know, 5542 Trust. Oh, well, I don't, that's, that's not him it's easier to uh, have that extra level of privacy. And that can be, that can be a, a, a revocable trust, which you fully control. As long as it's fully funded, you're just doing it for privacy purposes. But correct me if I'm wrong, Jennifer, your life is also made a lot easier if something happens to you and you pass away because there's instructions in there where that asset's gonna go. A hundred percent. 
exactly everything you said. Uh, I've worked with many clients who do want privacy for purchase of a house. And it's how, how do we structure this? Uh, and a trust is almost always the answer because with, with corporations, with LLCs, you know, getting, getting away from what state laws are, uh, generally there's, there's a requirement or there's a way to find out who the ultimate owners are. Now with the new corporate transparency act that's going into effect, it's going to be almost impossible for, for anyone who owns any interest in, in a corporation or an LLC, anything like that to, to be anonymous. Trusts, however, are not, are not a part of that. And a trust, you can call it anything you want. You know, you, you can call it the ABC trust, uh, Acme, uh, 20, Acme trust company, Road, Bunny Roadrunner. You can Acme call trust. it anything you want, right? <laughs> and guess what? When you do a trust, you know, remember it's in the name of the trustee. So yes, the trustee does have to sign the document. However, if you work with an attorney, an attorney can, can set up your trust so that the trustee is in place only for a certain period of time, maybe until the transaction is completed. And then after that, you can step in again and now you're anonymous or you can change yourself or somebody else can take over and your name will not be included on that. But you can only really do that if you work with an attorney who know just how that administration and how that flow works if you do want to step in again with a revocable trust, but want to stay anonymous for the initial transaction. Perfect. All right, let's uh, let's spend the next few minutes talking about charitable donations and why it's so important if you're giving a large sum of money. I'm not I'm not talking about you know giving 500 bucks to your local you know church or shul, but you're giving a large sum of money to an organization. Why is it so important to get a, get an attorney involved in that? Oh. There's so many amazing ways to use charitable planning to carry out your philanthropicals. I love charitable planning. I love it. I love when I work with clients who have philanthropic goals. Um, a lot of times they're very open-minded on how to achieve both their family objectives and their philanthropic objectives while getting the tax benefit. Uh, and because I work with standalone nonprofits, you know, both from creation to administration to tax issues and estate clients, I work with the overlap. And I know when someone comes to me, which is the best way for them to achieve their goals? Is it more on the estate planning side or is it more on the not-for-profit corporation side? And I'm able to give clients the options or say what I recommend. You know, a lot of times people will come to me, they'll say, I want to set up a not-for-profit. I'm like, great, tell me what you're looking, what you're looking to do, who's going to be involved, who's making the donations, how long do you want to be involved? And then based on their answers, I might say, yes, that that is a great idea. That's a nonprofit. Or I can say, you know what? Uh, are you sure you know what's involved here? Maybe there's other ways of doing this, maybe a donor advised fund, or maybe a charitable trust. Uh, as opposed to setting up a whole other nonprofit, maybe getting them connected with a community foundation. And there's just so many amazing ways that you can do even for smaller estates that aren't going to get a necessarily a great bang for their tax buck with, with, for estate tax planning purposes. Maybe they're below the 24 million exemption, but maybe they do want continuity. 
and maybe you get them connected with a, with a community foundation or even a, with donor advice fund, depending on how much you give, um, you make a contribution, you can set up a structure where your family can continue to make the recommendation. So in a way you, you get like a private foundation light with a donor advised fund. Uh, so I love working on, on nonprofit matters and on charitable planning because there's, there's so many ways that you can, you can get a one-time benefit, a medium-term benefit or a long-term benefit, and you can combine them, right? So you can have like a private foundation that makes contributions to a DAF that they set up, right? So now when you're paying out your 5%, if you're not sure who you're paying it out to, you connect it to a DAF that you set up and now there goes part of it. And now you can make the decisions on which organization gets your contribution later on. You don't have to do it in that in that year. No, that's great. Great advice. I, I think uh, your your passion for this is you can you can feel it. That's that's fantastic. All right, Jennifer, I want you to take uh, a minute now and think of three things you want to share with the folks. Make sure that they remember. So take three, take a minute and think of three things that you want folks to remember. While you're thinking about that, I'm going to remind everybody that we're brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. For 35 years, Sandrowski has been helping people with all sorts of financial issues. One of the things we were just talking about with Jennifer was philanthropic planning. So Let's say you want to donate to a charitable organization. You're going to go see Jennifer and she's going to get all your uh, all your ducks in a row. She's going to get all your paperwork together. Before you do that, give Sandrowski a call and have them vet the charitable organization. Here's what they're going to do. They're going to look at the publicly available financial information. And if your donation is significant, they're going to be able to get a lot more information because the people will want the money, the charitable organization will want the money, and they'll be able to pull the internal financial documents. And then Sandrowski will go through those with a fine-tooth comb. They'll analyze their expenses. And here's something that's really important if you're donating to a charity. That's the percentage of the money that they take in that's spent on administrative costs. You want that percentage to be as low as possible and you want all their administrative costs to be in line. So if their executive director is getting paid fair compensation for other executive directors at the size of that foundation, great. But if their executive director is getting paid way more, you need to know why. If their assets are not properly titled, if their assets are not uh, being properly taken care of, there will be more expenses for them down the road. So you need to do a significant amount of due diligence before you give your money to a charitable organization. Sandrowski has been doing this work forever and ever and ever. I want you to reach out to them today. No matter where you are in the United States, they can help you with this. 866-717-1607 before you call Jennifer to get your donation set up you need to call Sandrowski to vet the organization 866-717-1607 Sandrowski Corporate Advisors they're a CPA firm with a different perspective also don't forget time's running out get your revenue roadmap guide go to the website revenueroadmapguide.com enter your contact info download it for free today our guest is Jennifer Abelai. She's an estate planning and a philanthropic planning attorney. You can call her at 212-328-9568, 212-328-9568. Okay, Jennifer, what are the three things we should take away from our time together today? 
First, estate planning is for everyone. It really is. There, there's no estate too little to qualify for estate planning. I'd say the second one is kind of along those lines is start early. Don't wait till you're 75 before you do your first will. Uh, just because it, it's, it's going to feel a little bit more overwhelming to make decisions. If you start early, then it's incremental as you make changes while your family changes, your assets change, and your life and goals change. And the third one I'd say is if you have philanthropic goals, really look into all the different ways that you can achieve those. You know, whether it's, it's a standalone nonprofit, if you're involved in a nonprofit and governance issues, or if it's part of your estate planning, it's, it's a way where you can have your long-term societal goals live on beyond you, beyond your generation. And it can not only give you and your family an advantage, it gives your society an advantage. And you can get some really fun and, and interesting tax tools that you can be involved in and set up a structure so that your family feels more involved over generations on how society involves and improves. Fantastic. That's those are great three those are three great things, Jennifer. Thank you so much for sharing them with us. And thank you for spending your time with us on the Inside BS show today. Thank you. I had so much fun. Well you are incredibly knowledgeable and it was great to have you. So thanks for joining us. And that'll do it for this episode of the Inside BS show folks. We'll be back here again tomorrow with another edition of our show. Until then I'm Dave Lorenzo and here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.